Welcome to Radio Around the World, brought to you by Goethe Institute. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson of Common Ground Berlin, and today we're going to talk about homegrown radio with Kerry Jones of Shaftesbury in Dorset, England. Community radio is his passion, and he's definitely put it on the British map. Among other things, Kerry is known for launching in 2007 what was then the UK's smallest radio station. I asked the 53-year-old whether he grew up listening to radio. Yes, and in that unhealthy, want-to-work-in-radio way, listening to far too much radio and probably not listening to the, the right stuff, not listening like a normal person would. You know, you get in the car and you annoy your friends that you're in the car with because when the commercials come on, you put the radio up louder because you want to hear the ad breaks, and as soon as they come into the song that comes out of the ad breaks, you turn the radio down. <laughs> And that would annoy your friends. Yeah, because most normal people don't like that, do they? They they listen for the songs. So how did you come to choose radio as a profession? The way I got into radio, I went to school in Cardiff in South Wales on Welsh, and there was an option. I hated sports, and you could get out of double games, sports, on a Wednesday afternoon if you did community work. And there was an orthopaedic hospital next door. It was at the time of the Falklands conflict. Service personnel were being rehabilitated, brought back to Britain after the conflict, and there was a demand to do hospital radio programmes. There's a thing in Britain where there's a closed-circuit radio station for a hospital, generally. They've been going on for years, a good training ground for actual radio. So I got to make radio programmes and hang around the radio station rather than have to do boring rugby or play cricket. So that's, that was my first taste at the age of, gosh, probably about 14, 15. And what is special about radio to you besides getting out of sports that you perhaps didn't want to play? <laughs> to me, radio particularly, and this is the key difference, I think, although it translates across all types of radio broadcasting, is making the communication and making a difference. I mean, I'm working primarily and have worked mainly in small markets because I prefer that. I've, I've done London stuff, but I like small towns because you get to see the people that you serve when you walk out and you get to be told that what you've done has actually impacted on somebody's life. You found their lost dog, you found whatever service they require, you've taken on the local authority of the council and got a solution for somebody who thought there was nowhere else to go. So it's that power really of, of connecting with people and sharing conversations and just being part of somebody's life and, and sharing that joy. That's what radio is all about to me. It's not music, it's about conversation. Well, I've read that you were involved in creating what is said to be the smallest radio station in UK history. Tell us about that. So that was on the Isles of Scilly, and I ran it for 10 years. Um, the Isles of Scilly are 20 or so miles off the coast of the southwestern tip of England, and there's five islands with about 2,000 people between all of the islands, and we set up a self-sustaining, entirely local independent station covering those islands and operated it for 10 years. And so at the time, it was uh, the smallest station. I think there's, with the use of technology now, with you able to do things much cheaper and do more stuff online, I think there probably are radio stations that claim to target smaller geographic areas. But certainly in terms of a licensed FM radio station, that was the smallest then in the country. My understanding is that you were broadcasting from a boat shed surrounded by lobster pots and rusting anchors and all kinds of fishing equipment. How did that work, especially in bad weather? 
Well, that's part of the story. Um, we had this strange thing in Britain where you could have a limited period trial to establish demand for a radio station. You could go on air for 28 days. They called them restricted service licences, or RSLs. You got very low power at about 25 watts. And so there was no way we could fit out a proper studio for those trial broadcasts. We did several over a course of, I think, about three, four years on the Isles of Scilly. And so we used a boat shed to broadcast from. And yes, all the lobster pots and the various fishing paraphernalia and all sorts of storage items all sort of stacked up around us. So when we got the full-time radio licence, we moved into um, converting premises to make the radio station, which was right opposite the beach. And it was a -a 24-hour-a-day radio station, correct? Yeah, we were. Yeah, all, all through the night. So what did you broadcast for 24 hours? I mean, how much news can there possibly be with these small islands? Well, I mean, we broadcast back-to-back music through the night, and now in, in Shaftesbury we're all speech for a town of 8,000 people, and, and we broadcast ambient sounds through the night. There's no point putting your great material on at 3 o'clock in the morning in a town of 8,000 people. So through the night we have a thing called the Soundscape, where we make a real-time recording lasting eight hours in a various point around the area each night, perhaps next to a stream, in a meadow, and just play back in real time the recording the next night or later in the week. So you get to hear the sound of dusk in summer and then owls through the night and then the sound of daybreak. And we just punctuate that with a recording of the town hall clock chiming each hour and the voiceover announcing the hour. So that's what we have through the night here, which has actually bizarrely gained quite a following. People find it quite um, soothing. Your current project is a community radio station born out of your This Is Alfred podcast. Tell us about that. So I've always worked in radio, and after 10 years on the Isles of Scilly, living on an island is kind of tough. You know, it's uh, 2,000 people, more than 20 miles off off the mainland, and the winters were very long because you're out in the Atlantic. I did 10 years of it, and I was kind of done, and decided I wanted to do something different. So I did a radio travel show, syndicated that for two years. Great fun. Got a bit bored after about a year of waiting at airports, because I was away for 30 weeks of the year and kind of lost my sense of being anchored to a place. I'd chosen to live in Shaftesbury because it's a gorgeous town. Got involved with community groups and realised there were lots of good things they were doing but there was no outlet for them to shine. There was no way in which people were knowing what good work was being done in the community. Uh, The local paper was all about if it bleeds it leads type headlines even though there's no crime here. You know they'd run a story like knife crime doubles because there was one knife crime in a year. Um, So I decided to do something different and to show case what positive contributions people were making so I made a weekly podcast it became quite popular then I won a radio license I applied to the regulator to get a license for a not-for-profit station then during all of that Covid happened. We got wind. We assumed that the Prime Minister of the day, Boris Johnson, was going to announce the lockdown. So, what was a weekly podcast? My team of volunteers who were helping prepare for the community radio station. I said, "We're going to go daily from the 20th of March, 2020," and we did. And we've been daily making an hour-long local news and magazine program for a town of um, 8,000 people, seven days a week, ever since we've not missed a day. We've not run under one hour, and we've done that consistently. And now that's on the FM radio station as well, which went on air on Valentine's Day last year. That's amazing. And are your volunteers, do they have a, a radio background, or are these people that you train? No, they're all real people, normal people, people who have a passion or interest for the town or a specific hobby or something that's special to them. I think there's a lot of myths about radio. You don't really need special skills. Yeah, we give them pointers on how to 
record usually on a mobile phone. That's the device people are most comfortable with. And you find that people are okay going out and talking on a mobile and interviewing on a mobile. You get a microphone in front of somebody, they get intimidated by a mic. So all of our volunteers will record using everyday handheld devices and use editing software. We use Hindenburg to package material up and send it to me and I put it into the broadcast chain. But we we operate this entire 24-7 all speech radio station with the rule that none of our content comes from more than five miles away from Shaftesbury, our town. So we don't have any national news or information. It's entirely local. And uh, we do it without any physical studios. It's all done in the cloud, virtually, using everyday devices. So our running costs are exceptionally low. And we're running for about £3,000, dollars a year. So radio is actually easier to make nowadays than maybe 100 years ago when it started in Germany, for example. Yes, because you've got technology that makes life a lot simpler. And also, I think the regulatory environment has changed. I mean, if if we'd have gone to the UK broadcast regulator 10 years ago and said in a small town of 8,000 people, we want to run an all-speech station, they would have thought we'd gone crazy because speech is expensive and they just wouldn't think it was viable or possible. But we've kept running costs exceptionally low, so we don't need very much commercial income to break even we need you know just a handful of clients so we have you know and tops uh, 60 seconds commercial airtime an hour it's very much speech focused and very much local and doesn't have the irritations you have to have if you're running much bigger commercial operation with a lot of money going out on infrastructure and those sort of resources do you keep officials accountable because you're there i mean do you feel that this is something that radio is better able to do than newspapers Yes, to a degree. The difficulty with radio is that you need sound and you need to talk to people and you don't always get people who want to talk. If, if you've got some bad news stories, they may, may view it. They're not going to be crawling all over you to do an interview. Um, so to that end, we have to rely on things being shared in the public domain, going to council meetings, recording the council meetings and taking sound bites from that and making a radio package, a bit like the BBC Radio 4 Today in Parliament programme. That's how we approach that. Now, of course, any public meeting you can record legally in the UK, so we do that and we make it clear that we are recording and that's how we, we cover that base. There are times when we know stuff that we can't get anybody to go on record and say on tape and whereas the local paper would possibly run that, we can't because we need the sound to go with it. But the upside of that is that we don't generally get the fake news accusation because people can actually hear on our broadcasts, on our website, on our Listen Again facility, what the person who's been quoted has said. They might think they're talking rubbish or lying, but the fact is our reporting is of what was said, and that makes quite a difference. Is there a Radio Alfred story that you or your team have done that you are particularly proud of? It doesn't have to be something that is necessarily big, but when you get somebody calling you up in tears and saying, thank you, then you know you've made a difference because nobody else has. Nobody else has stepped up and offered to do something. And when you do little things like that, it could just be not even a news item, just finding a lost pet by putting out an announcement or fixing a problem for somebody or somebody has had a problem with the council, you've stepped in, you've found a clear path for them. It's palpable. You can feel how relieved they are and they know that it's down to you. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in one of our pubs on a Friday night with a friend, and I was listening to a conversation. There were three old guys talking behind me about a local news story, and they were well-informed. They'd listened to our news broadcast that morning, and they could have only heard about that story by listening to us. And I thought, that's nice, actually, the fact that they're talking about it, they're informed, and that's what we've done. We've done our job. 
Why is your radio station called Alfred? Does the name have any significance? Very much so. So our town was founded in the year 888 by King Alfred the Great, King Alfred who fought off the invading Danes and is seen as uh, an English folklore hero, really. He brought the first education system um, into what was the, the Kingdom of Wessex, which made the foundations for England, brought in some of the first um, education and, and legal measures. So he's revered to some extent, and he founded our town, and there's a statue of him in the town. There's lots of references in businesses and uh, street names to Alfred, and we thought, as is the was the trend a couple of years ago, to name radio stations after people like you know, Jack. I thought Alfred would be a good name because with radio going digital on the alpha numeric displays on car dashboards, you'll be first in the queue. So do you think that there's a future for community radio? I think there's a future for community radio if you provide something the community wants. I hear a lot of community radio stations where they're trying to be mini commercial radio stations. You don't hear this in America, but you hear it in Britain where people just want to be an old school radio station because they either worked at an old school radio station before stations got bought up by networks or they hankered after that position. I don't think you've got much life left if you just play records and have people talking between the records. If you just have local information that people can source elsewhere from the internet, I don't think you've got more than five years left because of the advance of AI. I think if you provide unique content that nobody else has got and it's you putting that stuff on the internet first, then whatever comes in in terms of you know fake newsreaders, fake presenters with AI that can read stuff online, if you've got it out on the radio or streaming through your uh, online service before it's been uploaded and one of those devices can read it, then you've stolen a march on anybody else and it's all about unique content. So any station that's doing something that cannot be found anywhere else, as is often the way with radio, I think you're fine. Content is really king, never so much as it is now. That was Kerry Jones in Dorset, England. Alfred Free Time. Antiques will be on sale in the town hall from 10 till 4 today. If you're a brain You can boss, listen to his Radio Alfred at 107.3 FM in Shaftesbury or stream it via thisisalfred.com. Radio Around the World is brought to you by the Guta Institute. Thank you to all of our friends and partners for making this series possible.